Jumping into our message today, it's called No Longer a Sinner. No Longer a Sinner. And um, I want to I lay a spiritual foundation here today that we're, we're very familiar with, but far too often I find that our, our reality, our everyday lives, the practical outlive of our faith don't catch up with the, the faith confession we make, the belief that we have, what Scripture says, doesn't materialize in our experience as Christians, and, and it keeps us back and holds us back in significant ways. And for us to truly live free, to honor God and advance His kingdom, um, this is something that we need to have in place. Foundations make the rest of the building last. Amen? And so this is a very important foundation in Christianity, that we understand our righteousness, that we understand our righteousness. So to introduce the topic, I want to I want, I want, I want help you do some like, introspection because this is one of those messages where you can go, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. I'm just warning you in advance. We have to take that a slight bit deeper today in order for me to understand, do I live like that? Amen. Do I live, actually live like that? Is that more than just something that I agree to? Has it become my core conviction of how I conduct myself? All right. And so I'm going <clears> to <throat> make two statements and, and you decide for yourself if you agree with them. Okay. The first statement is, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay. So we're not going to do hands lifting and all that today, but you just ask yourself this. Do you believe that statement? The second statement is, I am a sinner saved by grace. Do you believe that statement? All right. You decide for yourself. Here's what I want to get to today. If you agreed to both statements, if you agreed to both statements, we need to clarify something. And the, the thing that we need to clarify is an issue of timing. What do you refer to when you say, I am a sinner saved by grace? Do you, reserve to your pa- do you, res- do you refer to your past or do you refer to your present? If you agreed with both of those statements as a present reality, then you are stuck in a, um, in, a, in a disconnect between what you are confessing as your belief and what you're experiencing in your real life, in your walking out of your faith. There is a disconnect. I want, you, I want to help you to link those things today. Um, <clears throat> if, you've, if you've lived from the conviction that, yes, I am a sinner saved by grace, present reality, then you might also find yourself in a constant ebb of flow, ebb and flow of intimacy with God and feeling distant from Him. You might constantly feel yourself as being sure that you are forgiven versus feeling guilty again about your sin. Able to stand boldly in His presence and in that of other believers or feeling shame and guilt again and choosing to rather avoid the presence of God and avoid the presence of other believers. Sometimes we find ourselves being confident of our salvation and sometimes the ebb flows and it becomes a doubt whether we are actually right with God. Have any of you felt that pendulum swing in your life? You're kind of like unsure, is this, have I settled this, this reality? Yes, I believe Jesus saved me, but what about all the messes that I am still making? The Bible says, if you claim to have no sin, then you're a liar. You're in error. And we believe that. We agree with that. So where does this whole thing come together then? 
for most of us in this culture, the general response to um, when we've had a good, a good kind of stretch where we've done well, We've stuck to our, you know, New Year's resolutions. We've stuck to our decisions to, to be faithful to God, to read our Bible, to pray, to, uh, you know, to come to church. We've had a good stretch of that and we haven't done, you know, the obvious horrific things in life, you know. <laughs> you know, we haven't beat our wives or we haven't cheated on our wives. We haven't uh, cheated on our husbands. We haven't, you know, stolen money. You know, the big things, used drugs or, or, or things like that. If we have a good stretch and we kind of just, okay, you know, I know I'm sinful, but you know what, those are almost like, you know, those, those forgivable sins because those other ones aren't right okay (laughs) if we've had a good stretch of trying to live up to God's expectations in scripture we've really wanted to be obedient to his word and we've had a good stretch the typical response that we have is that of comfortable freedom we know that we are forgiven we know that we have um, you know our place in heaven secured and we know that we are okay to be in the company of other Christians right we know that, you know, there's nobody going to look into our lives and, 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 and all of a sudden I'm going to feel judged for what I did. But what happens when we've made some mistakes? What happens when we did cheat on our spouse or we did, you know, do something that was really bad according to human standards? What happens then? All of a sudden, or what happens if we just find ourselves having been kind of, you know, model citizens and all of a sudden we have marital issues? All of a sudden we have a child that is acting out and all of a sudden, you, we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, what is this going to say about me and my parenting if my child is acting out? What happens when we come into a season where things aren't as spick and span as we were able to keep them and hold them up? Well, the general response in our culture is one of two things. Either we withdraw. We withdraw. We withdraw from the company of believers, but we also withdraw from the presence of God. We find it hard to come to the Bible. We find it hard to to pray. We find it hard to, to, to sing and to worship to God because there is a condemnation that lies on our spirit. The other thing that we do is we uh, jump into, into performance mode. We try to do more. We try to give more. We try to work harder to produce more righteous fruit. To please and to God, to think to please God and to fix the matter. Both of those attempts is an attempt to fix it on our own. Now, let me just go away from the public eye so that nobody can see that I'm dealing with sin in my life or I'm dealing with things that are out of the odds. Let me go privately and fix that. Or let me throw myself into the work. Let me just say yes to everything and anything that is asked of me. And let me burn myself both ends of the candle just so I can show to God, I really am dedicated to you. I really want to be good. The problem is that neither one of those responses are actually profitable in producing the fruit of righteousness that God requires, that God wants, that God wants to see in our hearts. He wants to see in our lives. By the end of today, I'm hoping to show you a different walk, a way that you can walk securely in your righteousness, regardless of what you are going through. Even if what you are going through is something like sin. Even if you've made really bad decisions, you can stand before God based on His word and based on His work and not lose your standing that will enable you to recover practically. So often when we lose that standing, we spiral out of control 
and God knows where we find ourselves when somebody finds us again. And I see that so often happen, that Christians, they have a good stretch, come to church, be excited, and then something goes wrong, and they feel so bad about what just went wrong that they just can't stand looking God in the eyes again. They just can't stand looking me in the eyes again, looking their fellow believers in the eyes again, and then they just disappear. And no matter how many times you reach out to them to tell them, brother, it's okay. Let's walk with you through this. God will forgive you. God will reinstate you. God will recover you. It is just too much. Sometimes you can't get somebody to stop. Look, I need you to slow down. You don't have to do any, everything in church. No, no, no. I have to show my dedication to God. I have to show him that I, you know, that I really want to be good. And what happens with that? Well, sooner or later, that person does burn out. Because if you're ever trying and never being affirmed that your try was enough, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. And then you're also going to disappear on me. (laughs) And my heart's desire is to see each and every one of us sitting in these seats and in this building today be able to walk a long journey, a long journey together with Jesus Christ where we go through all the seasons of life. We go through all the aspects of the Christian walk. We go through all the failures of the Christian walk. We go through all the successes of the Christian walk. We go through the, the, the peaks and the lows. We go through the mountaintops and the valleys. But we go through them together where there's, a company, where there's an atmosphere of forgiveness and grace and there's no condemnation and there's no shame and guilt any longer. That's my desire for each and every one of us here. But you know what? I can have that desire blue until I'm blue in my face. If you don't feel like you are worthy to join that journey, you're not signing up. You're not sticking around. And so for us to understand what it means to be righteous is so pivotal to us having a long journey together in Christ, a long journey together figuring out how do we live this Christian walk in all seasons and all aspects of life. So let's look at the real, let's look at the basics of salvation real quick. Okay, we're going to look at what we call the Roman road in, in uh, that's kind of like a way we help people to understand how to explain the gospel to people. It's real simple. You use four verses in Roman, Romans and it helps somebody to understand why they need salvation. It helps somebody to know what God did and, on, on their behalf and then what their response need to be. And so it starts with Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that's why I asked, when you say I am a sinner, what are you referring to? Are you referring to present reality or are you referring to past reality? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were born in sin and therefore we were dead in our trespasses. As the Bible says, not sick, we were dead. We were absolutely dead spiritually. And there was absolutely nothing you and I could do about that. Romans 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It refers to the fact that because we were born in sin and because we were dead spiritually, there was absolutely no connection between our spirit and God's spirit. We were disconnected from him. We died spiritually when Adam and Eve uh, made the you know, decision to disobey God. And that decision is only, um, you know, affirmed in us because in our, in our whole being, we have this, this natural tendency to to sin as, as, uh, you know, as, as humans. And so, yes, we are dead in our sin. 
And yes, the punishment for that is eternal separation from God in hell. It's true. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. The Bible says God demonstrates in Romans 5, 8, His love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's important here to start seeing how the Bible starts expressing this reality of sin in our lives. Because even in, in this moment, it starts referring to it as being a past reality. We, while we were sinners, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That means that when Christ Jesus came to die for the people back then, but also for us right here, right now, that death and resurrection took place way before we were made alive before we were regenerated in our spirit man. And he made that available to us, not because of anything we asked for, because the Bible says no one was searching for God. No one was trying to please him. We were all fallen away from him and nobody had the intention of being right with him. But then Jesus came and, it, and, and, and he introduced that to us, that ability to be reconnected with God through being made alive in our spirit man. But we were not deserving of that gift. We were not des- it wasn't something that was owed us for services rendered. It wasn't a wage that we received. It was a gift that we got based on the love of God, not even based on anything we had done right. And then it says in Romans 19, because you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. With the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Like I said, tick, 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 tick. I know all that. I've probably done all that. And if you have made the decision, if you've made that confession in your life and in your heart, then the Bible declares over you that you are, you've been born again. You have been set free from the punishment of sin, which is eternal separation from God. And you are secured for salvation by the Holy Spirit that seals you until the day, until the day comes. So where is the discrepancy? Why then, if we have been justified, if we have been saved, are we still seeing ourselves in a different light? Well, I understand it's because the reality of our frailty, right? Who can claim to not have sin? And who can claim to not be sinful? Like, like, I mean, we sin every day. We make, the, make mistakes every single day. We, we fall short of God's standards every single day. How can I claim to not be a sinner? It doesn't make sense. Let us read 2 Corinthians 5, because I believe that we're talking about two different aspects of our existence. We're talking about our nature, and we're talking about our behavior. And when we differentiate between our nature and our behavior, we can see that something happens in our nature that is entirely out of our control, entirely out of our um, effort, that is absolutely done by God and performed by Him. It's miraculous. It's not something that we can do. If we take that and see what He had done for us and we differentiate between our behavior and our nature, we can start seeing the picture for what it is. 
First, Second Corinthians 5 or 16 says this, From now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we regard Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. There came a moment in time where they realized, look, it's Jesus. Must I switch this thing? I don't want to miss and touch the whole time like this. <clears throat> yes, Jesus was a physical human being, 100% man, 100% God, um, that lived on earth, historically proven. But after his resurrection, they had to realize that the resurrected Christ was slightly different from the Jesus they knew of flesh and bone. And they needed to accept the fact that the one they had with them was Jesus before he was elevated and given the name that was above every other name, before he had overcome sin and death. But now the Christ is the one whom God gave the name that is above all name. He has been declared the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is no longer Jesus, the one that I choose to obey because it's nice. No, no, no. He is now the Lord who deserves absolute allegiance and my absolute obedience. They had to shift their perspective of who Christ was after he had been resurrected, after he had beaten death. And in the same way, we are asked to look at each other no longer according to the flesh. We're asked, look, don't regard Chuck for being Chuck that grew up in Crowley, that, you know, graduated Crowley High, that was a mischievous little, you know, devil. And I don't know if you were, but I'm just making things up right now. You know, <laughs> I got it right. Don't look at this man and now regard him according to what you knew of him. How many of you grew up in this area and know each other from before? So many of you. Yet here we sit now and the thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm taking a peek at you and I go, mm, I know you. You cheated on your math paper and you blamed it on me and I got expelled and you didn't. You're a conniving little, you know, nonsense. And here you sit in church all trying to be holy and nice, right? Sure, I know you. I see through this facade that you're putting up right now. We think we know people because we share history with them. The Bible says don't take that and prioritize that. Know them no longer according to their flesh. What has happened in their spirit? Why are they sitting here? Is Jesus doing a regenerative work in their lives? Has he made them born again or is he still reaching out to them? Regardless of what the thing is, God says to you, look with different eyes at people from now on. Don't regard them according to the flesh anymore. Because something happens when Jesus Christ comes and makes some changes in our hearts. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Now, I don't think we really realize what this means. I think we know the verse, but we don't realize what it does. This tells me that my nature was fundamentally changed. I was made a new creation. In other words, I wasn't the old that's now just polished. No, I, I am made new. I am made new. I have become alive in a aspect of my life that was non-existent before so maybe not non-existent, but existed in a complete dead um state you know, st uh, status a dead existence 
My spirit man was, 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 was dead. And so now it says, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. The new has come. So I look at Chuck and I go, yes, Chuck, before, you know, you were that guy, but now you have gotten to know Christ. And so regardless of whether there are vestiges of that life that is still present in you, the Bible says, don't view him in that light anymore. If I am supposed to view Chuck according to his regenerated self, the fact that his spirit was made alive, not by my works, not by my effort, but by the will of God, then how can I, how can I look at Chuck like that, but then go to look to myself and go, mm, mm, I know you. Look at yourself in the mirror and go, mm, you're still stuck in that sin. You're still struggling with that thing. Mm, nothing's really changed. And in being in that space, we even find it hard to look at other people and go, I believe that you can change. I believe that you can become different from what you are right now. <clears throat> it's so important that we understand our righteousness. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin. Okay, so let's, let's look at what we're talking about here. Are we talking about behavior here? Are we, are we reading that the Bible says that God caused Jesus to sin, to commit acts of sin, to sin? No. He says he made him to be sin. He talked about the nature of Christ. So when our sin was put on Christ, God rejected him because he could not find any affiliation with him anymore. He became sin on our behalf. So that what? So that our nature might become no longer sinner, but righteous. You have been changed fundamentally. Your nature has been shifted. There is a different nature living on the inside of you and it is holy. It's been made right with God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. What does that mean? He committed no sin. Who knew no sin so that in him, that's a very important clause, in him, it's not in our works, it's not in our efforts, it's not trying to do everything that we can do. No, it's none of that. It's in him. Everything about him. We might become does it say we might stop doing? No, it doesn't say we might stop doing. Am I correct? It says that we might become. It's an aspect of my nature that shifts. It does not talk about my behavior in this minute. It says that we might become what? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when the line, the slide comes up on the top there, it says no longer a sinner because I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Both are claims of nature. We say man has a sin nature. I say yes, man has a sin nature until Jesus Christ comes and changes that nature and gives him a righteous nature. I am no longer a sinner saved by grace, present reality. No, I am a righteous person. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by the grace of God. Because the claim can never be anything that I boast of out of my, out of my own self. 
It's never a matter of my performance. It's never a matter of my achievements. It's always a matter of his work in me. But because he does a work and because his work is complete, it's perfect, I am complete and perfected in Christ. And remember, we're differentiating from nature and behavior, between nature and behavior. And there's this pivotal verse in 2 Corinthians 4. I don't have it on the board. But it says that this treasure, this treasure is housed in jars of clay. This absolute amazing reality that I have been perfected in Christ Jesus. In this reality is still housed in a jar of clay. Something that is frail, brittle, breaks at any moment, can have accidents, has to be repaired. But yet, all that does is it shows even more the surpassing greatness of the work of God in me that though I am righteous, even my best effort cannot fully prove that I am righteous. And I'm almost constantly proving him wrong for having say that I should be righteous. But that shows more so his power and more so his grace to say that it doesn't matter. (laughs) This jar of clay that is so brittle and so breakable, it doesn't matter because I am able to withhold you. I am able to keep you together. I am able to keep you righteous until the day comes that this death, this this structure is swallowed up and made complete. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that I don't longer have to look at myself and go, oh man, I'm I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. And I so like this visual here because how many times do we come to that place of partial freedom? And, and, and I'm not saying that that guy meant for that picture to look like that. But for me, sometimes that shows the picture of, of being, being somewhat at that place where I'm acknowledging God. Yes, Lord, you are the one that saves me. You are the one that deserves the praise and deserves the honor. And so, yes, Lord, I will raise my hands and worship you, but I just can't look at your face right now. Right? I, just, I still so feel so bad for all these things that have been happening in my life. I still feel so bad about, you know, what I just did today, how I said that. So I'm here, I acknowledge you, I believe in you, but I can't look at you right now. Where God would rather desire you and I to look him straight in his face and say, thank you. Thank you, Abba, for completely absolving me of all my wrong, purely because that Jesus died for me and I. I dare to believe in the extravagant sufficiency of that grace. Not any of my works adding anything on top of that, but purely His grace. It's important that we understand our righteousness because we will sin again. I will sin again. You will sin again. Either through doing things we should have, shouldn't have done, but did, or we'll sin because of things we should have done, but didn't. Okay, both of them are equal serious sins. The ones you shouldn't do and the ones you should do, but didn't. We will sin again. 
And because we sin, we still sin again, we need to be prepared for how we will respond to our failures. Remember last week, the uh, week before, I, I talked about how I taught my girls how to fail well, how to lose well. It's one of those moments. You need to know and be prepared for your next sin. How are you going to respond? Are you going to allow that sin to drive you away from community, away from the presence of God, away from the Word of God, away from basically anything and everything that will restore life to you? Or are you going to be prepared to face that sin, face that failure, and understand how to deal with that in your life? Because the enemy is right there to tell you that, see, Chuck, nothing has changed. You're, you're still a cheat. You're still mischievous. You're still conniving. Leonard, you still cheat on your exams. See, nothing changed. And because nothing changed, why should God be even interested in your life? The devil is right there behind every time we sin to remind us that we're not worth it. You're not going to make this. You're not, never going to get this right. We need to understand our righteousness because to honor God, we have to learn to walk like Christ. God wants us to walk like Christ in this world. And if you can't understand that you are the righteousness of God, you will never be able to walk like Jesus did. You will always feel shamed and guilted out of standing up in that sonship, standing up in that boldness. We need to learn about our, um, our righteousness because it will enable us to walk with other people and to help other people to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior too. If you're feeling condemned and shamed and, and, and bad about your life right now, tell me, how many of you are just so bold and so, you know, so, so, so eager to tell the guy next to you, hey, I'm a Christian and I love serving Jesus. Don't you want to come serve Jesus with me? <laughs> no, we don't act like that, right? Like we try to fix ourselves up first, you know, until we look all polishy like I'm today. Don't y'all like the jacket? Right? You try to make yourself look at least the part before you're going to try and convince another person that, hey, this thing works. Hey, this thing is worth doing. We have absolutely no influence if we do not understand the righteousness that we walk in, that we have been given by Christ Jesus. It is so important. If we're going to walk in peace, if we're going to walk in the joy of the Lord, we have to understand our righteousness. Because how often do we wonder, why is God doing this thing to me? Why did that thing happen to me? And we are perplexed. We are worried. I don't understand what God is doing. Why is God so silent to me? All of these things sprout out of an, a wrong understanding of my righteousness. If you're struggling with a sin-conscious mind, a shame-filled mind, how are you ever going to tell somebody that they want a part of this? I mean, I wouldn't be able to. But now that I stand, having been set free of that old reality, because of the new nature that Christ has given me, man, I feel like, man, everybody should know this. Everybody should know the freedom that there is to be found in Jesus Christ. Because it truly takes the weight off. It truly brings joy and peace to my heart. 
because I have been truly made righteous. Not because of my own efforts that is fickle and, uh, and, uh, and, and lacking, but because of the complete work of Jesus Christ. So, what does an understanding of my righteousness do for me? Here it is. It frees me from the constant fear of judgment. It frees me from the constant fear of judgment. So how many of you before the hurricane confessed all your sins and tried to make sure that you caught up on all your prayers, all your Bible reading, all your... <laughs> Come on, be, be, be honest. Why? Because sometimes we fear judgment because we don't understand our righteousness. We think that, well, this is a way for God to get back at us, right? Guys, we have such a slim view of our righteousness. In John 4, 16, he says, We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is... As he is, how is Jesus currently? As Jesus is, is Jesus accepted in the presence of God currently? Is Jesus uh, regarded by God as righteous and holy? As he is, so also are we in this world. Does Jesus stand next to the throne of God and think, Oh, I'm such a sinner. Because God laid all the sin of the world on him. No, he does not. He does not. He understands. His, he is righteous. And, and, and it's just amazing how we can stand in that same position of righteousness, understanding that, yes, yes, we are jars of clay. Yes, we break. Yes, but it even shows more God's power that regardless of our frailty, he is able to keep us righteous in Christ Jesus by his power, not by our performance not by our ability to do things right at all, all times. Because of the faith and trust that we placed in him, that is the gift he granted us. It's just so amazing. So I don't fear any judgment. I don't fear judgment by physical things. I don't fear judgment by sickness. I don't fear judgment by accidents. I don't fear judgment by failure of my business. I don't fear judgment in any form on earth. I don't fear judgment in eternity. Why? Because as Christ Jesus is, so I can be and so I have become in this world. And by that, the love of God has been perfected in me. Why? Because now I only have joy. I only have peace in His presence. Because I doubt nothing. I doubt not in the least bit that one day He is going to embrace me fully into His kingdom. I'm going to receive the best that He has to offer because of the work of Jesus Christ. I don't have to add anything to that. And I have no doubt about that. Because his love has been perfected in my heart. So even when I fail, I feel loved. And the Bible says it like this, those he disciplines, he receives. So even if God corrects me, even if I feel conviction in my heart in a moment of, of weakness, I go like, oh, I should have done that. <clears throat> I feel bad about it. But at the same time, I realize if my conscience was seared, if God had given up on me, I wouldn't have felt that. Me feeling that I need to make something right is Him disciplining me in my heart through this word and it helps me to see again His love for me. He's not going to let me go. He's going to keep me standing and He's going to keep you standing. 
Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. Fear has to do with punishment. I fear no punishment on earth because God has laid the punishment that was due to my account on Jesus Christ on my behalf. He was my substitute fully and completely. And when he said tetelestai, when he said it is done, he meant it was completed fully. Every bit of guilt that you had and every debt that you had to repay was paid back in Christ Jesus. And what do you get? You get to stand in your righteousness. You get to view yourself as a son and a daughter of God. You get the right to be called a child of God, says John 1.12. Even though you are a frail jar of clay, you still get that right because of Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of the new covenant. the beauty of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. It talks about the agreement that the God had with Israel and the law. And it says that, hey, that agreement had a sense of glory attached to it. Why? Because other nations didn't even try to please God. At least these oaks tried to please God through obedience to the law, right? So there was a... There was it was a sense of God's glory, God's standard, God's weight impressed on something. It was on that covenant. And it says, if that covenant literally led to death, how much more glorious will the covenant be that leads to life? How much more stronger is the covenant that leads to life? It's a complete mindset shift away from, oh my goodness, I have to perform to get myself right in God's eyes, to I have been accepted in the beloved by my faith. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's the difference between thinking that I am still a sinner that needs salvation and standing in my righteousness and declaring it humbly, but by the grace of God, but no questions asked about it. I am no longer considered a sinner. I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now I know how difficult it is to deal with our frailty. Trust me. Trust me. It's difficult for us to go and say, in light of my reality, in light of what I've dealt with, in light of what I might still be dealing with, how can I have the audacity? How can I have the being so prideful to call myself no longer a sinner? Am I denying that I have sinned? Like we said, no, we're not. But what we're doing is we're actually glorifying God. And by saying, Lord, the work you did in me, it was a perfect work. It was a perfect work. It's more glorifying to acknowledge that God saved you completely than to say, hey, did I have a job and I have to add some. God's righteousness was given to us as a gift. The most honoring thing you can do is to acknowledge that gift. And to no longer call yourself according to your old nature. But to at least give him the respect of saying that he did a good job in my, in my heart. He raised me up. He lifted me up out of death into life. I have been made according to his likeness again. I have been made holy again. Colossians 2 verse 13 and 14 says this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Did you hear that? Canceling the record. How many of you keep record of your wrongs? I mean, I, I can remember something. Goodness. I can, you know. Yes, we ran out of paper to record all the wrong we do. But what, when we have a conscious, a sin-conscious mind, what did he say? He said, I canceled that record. I took every single accusation that has been brought against you because rightfully your trespasses, your crimes, I took that list and I set it aside by nailing it to the cross. By nailing it to the cross, your sin has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. Amen. It sets me free from the, the instability of trying to serve God, failing and feeling like a feather of guilt and shame walking away. Working my way back, working my way back, serving, failing. Oh, I'm such a worm. God's never going to receive me back. Somebody says, God will receive you back. Really? Okay, let me try. Let me try. Get back. See, Lord, I try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. God hates that pattern in his church. Sons and daughters of God, God wants you to all stand in front of him with absolutely no covering and say, Lord, thank you for my righteousness. It's all you. It's nothing me, but thank you that I can be called a son and a daughter of God. This declares to you today that you've been absolved of all your shame and all your guilt. You've been fully exonerated, acquitted, exempted, pardoned of all your sin and the punishment due to your name as a result of those sins. Fully pardoned. The second thing he does is it frees us from the fear of rejection. Ephesians 1 verse 6 to 7, it kind of leads out of a portion of Scripture, um, but it, 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 says, it says the part that I want to focus on um, just out in, the, in the second line. It says, To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. How did He make you accepted in the Beloved? Was it by your good performance or was it by His grace? It was by his grace that he made you accepted in the beloved. And then it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We have been accepted. You have been accepted not to be rejected again as long as you hold to your confession of faith. The jar of clay isn't going to affect God's decision of what he put in that clay jar. In other words, your sin isn't going to change his mind about you. He has accepted you in the beloved. You have been made righteous. Not because you're such a great vessel, but because of his grace. Sometimes we think, well, what happens if I sin before? What happens if I die, sin and then die before I repent it? Where am I going to go? Well, who are you? Are you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? And the answer is clear. Well, what happens if I knowingly sin and I die before I can correct my life? Well, what are you? Are you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Because our behavior I want 
to say the one piece. I wonder if I missed it and I scrolled past in my in my excitement here. What happens if I if I find myself in that place of doubt? We have to go back to what Scripture declares of us, not about what how we judge ourselves according to our scale of justice. Have I done enough? The reality is once you made a sincere confession of faith in the Lord Jesus from belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead after he was crucified as a substitute for for you, for your sin, you, listen to this, by the power of God, this is the portion I was looking for, by the power of God were made a new creation. It was a miracle. It wasn't something that you could achieve or accomplish. It was a miracle. By the power of God, you were made a new creation. Nothing of your own doing So if nothing of your own doing made you into a righteous being from being a sinner, how can what what you do change that? If it was your accomplishment and your achievement, then you can work less and then achieve less. But if it was God's work in your life, your actions are not going to intrinsically affect the nature of your being because that was never based on any any of your actions. That's why it's so important to understand how grace operates. It doesn't operate in my effort. It operates in the will of God. Ephesians 2.8 says this, and we, again, don't, don't be ticking. Don't just be ticking. Think of this. Am I living like this? Do I share this deep conviction? For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but an imperishable imperishable seed think about that what are you i am the righteousness of god in christ jesus how did you get there well a miracle happened i put my faith in jesus christ and he turned things he made something happen in me that i could never achieve or do myself how was that done well by the implanting of an imperishable seed in my life and heart okay so if that seed is imperishable why are we flipping flopping Are you a righteous person or are you a sinner? If you have been born again of an imperishable seed, then you, your righteousness won't perish because it's not based on your behavior and performance. It is based on that of Christ's. It takes away the fear of ever being rejected by God again. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I have become something entirely different, not by my performance achievement or not by my spiritual growth. It's important. It's not by my spiritual growth that I achieved righteousness. It is the gift of God. And I have been born. Did you work your way out of that womb? No, you were highly unaware of how you came out of there. I've seen that happen. 
It happens by the will of the parent. It happens by the will of the, the, the woman and everything, every, everything working. To it. You did not work one little bit to get out there. And the spiritual birth is like that. It was all God's work. All God's work. The third thing it frees us from is the fear of not having done enough. Have you ever had any of these thoughts? I wonder um, why certain people who lived such good lives ended up having such hardship and trauma at the end of it. Man, that person was such a good servant of the Lord. How can they go, you know, how can that be, you know, the, the, the reality that they end up, end up in? I, I have like three more points. Okay, so just hang in there with me. Sometimes we think that our effort and our achievements as Christians, right, our, our, our benevolence should rake up to some benefit for us here on earth. Like, like, if I will do all this, God, I'm expecting you to do that. You know, that's a transactional mindset. That is not how the, old co- how the new covenant works. In fact, that's how the old covenant worked. God said in all of his old covenant statements, if you will, da, 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 then I will. Da, 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 da. If you don't, then I will. Right? Transaction. Now we're in the new covenant. It no longer works on transactions. You have been included in the family of God and whatever is his is yours. In this reality, we face different things, but that's not based on whether we've pleased God or not. It's because we live in a broken world that's not operating according to his design anymore. He's 100% design anymore. That's what we have to realize. That if I'm gonna try and transact with God, I'm always going to come up in debt. (laughs) Always. There's so many ways that we, that we do um, these transactions with God. And, and, And the Bible actually calls it dead works. Because it doesn't add any little bit of something to your righteousness. It just doesn't. Now, does it benefit people? And if you do it with that mindset of I am acting from the love of God to be, you know, a servant of all and, and to share my love and my life and all. Yes, absolutely. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about can I view myself as being the righteousness of God or do I continue to call myself a sinner saved by grace? Present reality. so that I can walk securely in my relationship with God. This frees me from that feeling that I've never done enough to please Him. So in Ephesians 2, after verse 8, where it talks about you've been saved by grace, verse 9 says, this is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That means that there is no Christian that can claim to be more holy than another Christian. No matter how different they believe about you know, doctrine, uh, different they believe about whatever. You cannot claim to be more Christian, a better Christian, a higher quality Christian. Because <laughs> your righteousness is not based on any of that. Your righteousness has been based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It makes 
It makes you free from having to perform more to be accepted more. Therefore, you are like a son in a house, a daughter in a house. You have freedom to come and go. You have freedom to partake. You know, within, you know, within reason, and, and that's where wisdom comes in. I can go, you know, and, 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 and eat if I'm hungry. I can tell God, hey, I'm hungry. My, my parents, they look after me. I have an expectation that they're going to take care of me. I don't come with like, you know, you know, have I done enough today to deserve my, you know, my bowl of you know, cereal for, for dinner? No, they come boldly. Where's our food? <laughs> oh, hang on there. <laughs> That's not how we do it. You just ask politely at least, you know. But still, there's a absolute confidence that I should be taken care of here. Not because I performed, but because I'm included. Guys, this is a mindset shift that we need in our church. Because God wants us to walk in our righteousness. This is why some people will feel the urge to give their hearts to Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. Right? So I, I appreciate your sincerity of wanting to be right with God. But listen to me. If you have agreed in your heart of hearts sincerely that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you never have to put up your hand again when we make an altar call. You never have to put your hand up again to be prayed to be saved. Now, sure, if there's a different call, like if you're asking who needs prayer for, you know, stress or something like that, sure, put up your hand. But the bottom line is for your salvation, you don't ever have to put up your hand again if you have declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In fact, doing it adds nothing to your righteousness. It's a dead work. Now, I understand your heart behind it, but I'm telling you that it's unnecessary. Rather, don't do it. And test yourself whether you've settled the conviction in your heart that I am the righteousness of God. I am forgiven. Yes, I realize because of what was said here today, maybe not today, but other days, that I, I sinned. I, I, might, I did something wrong. No, you don't have to put up your hand again. You can accept the fact that you are righteous and that the Holy Spirit is disciplining you in your heart. Just so all you can do is just repent and obey. You don't have to do anything else. That's all we have to do. And repent doesn't mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, repent just means I agree with the truth of what that says. And it's different from what I used to believe, but I'm going to stop believing that and start living according to that. That's what repentance is. This is why some people feel the urge to be baptized again. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm not talking about a ceremony where you, um, where you dedicate a child to the Lord with water. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a confession of a clear conscience, like 2 Peter 3 verse uh, 9 says. That, no, no, not that one. Uh, 2 Peter 3.20 or 21-22. Somewhere like that. It says this, that the baptism is a pledge of a clear conscience. In other words, if you can't make a pledge of a clear conscience, whatever you did wasn't a baptism. But if you've made that once, you don't have to do it again. If you were baptized in a different church, you joined our church, you don't have to be baptized in our church again. As long as you were baptized because you believed in Jesus, you're baptized. Doing baptism again is a dead work. It's religious. It's trying to do through works to add to my righteousness. No, you are righteous. You don't have to add to that. This is why some people feel the urge to, um, you know, <laughs> maybe want to come to our church because of how they experience God here, but look, when it comes to my, 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 my child, I'm going to go back to the old church and let them, you know, 
dab the, the water and stuff on, that, on them because I just need to make sure that I do enough so that my child will be saved by God one day. Guys, guys, that's a dead work. It, it, it just manifests in so many ways in our lives. Spiritual disciplines like Bible reading, prayer, and it becomes a duty. It becomes a way to appease God so that I may receive his blessing. God's going to bless you whether you read your Bible or not. Now, will you know the wisdom of decisions that you need to make in your life to stop you from doing stupid things? Probably not. Are you going to be walking into things unknowingly and doing dumb things that cause you to get hurt as a consequence of your decision? Very probable. But is God going to withtract his blessing from your life, his presence from your life? Is he now no longer going to answer your prayers because you're not reading your Bible? No. We don't get God's favor by works. We have his favor because we're his children. Now, if you're his child and you're acting out, is he going to discipline you? Yes. Not through sickness, accidents, calamity, and all of that. No. He's going to discipline you through the inner conviction of his word in your heart. And you're going to know that you displease the Holy Spirit. And when you know that, the only thing you need to do, you don't need to come to me, you need to even tell me about it. The only thing you need to do is, I hear you, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm going to respond to your leadership. That's the only thing you need to do. You don't have to give more money to the church. You don't have to take me out for lunch, but please do because I like to out with you. You don't have to do any of those things to be right with God. It's religion. It's dead. It adds nothing to your righteousness. So can you see how many good things I've mentioned? Baptism, reading the Bible, prayer, but some, but we can use all of those great things, but we can use them with an old covenant mindset that I'm still doing these things in order to be accepted by God. I'm still doing these things to get God's blessing. I'm getting these things to get God's protection. We need to stop that because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And now we can serve him out of freedom, out of love, out of not duty, but out of desire. We can serve him out of a freedom of, you're my dad. I want to be with you. I want to pray to you. I want to learn from you. I want to honor you. I want whatever I do to represent you. It comes from a completely different mindset. Then I'm trying to gain your favor. I'm trying to gain your attention. No, you have his attention, 100%. In Christ Jesus. Let me skip a couple of things. I want to read you this verse. Romans 8, 15 and 16. You did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned for as he rises up, up within us our spirit join him in saying the word of tender affection beloved father it's the passion translation of a familiar verse that ends with abba father our beloved father when his holy spirit rises up within me my spirit joins him and saying you're my dad 
You're my holy heavenly father. And I have great intimacy with you. I have great closeness with you. I don't have to prove myself to you. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to please you through my works. You have accepted me. You love me as I am. And you're just so pleased and glad about me. I have that conviction. Fourth, it frees me from the fear of never overcoming sin. I am no longer a sinner. How many of you have been stuck in sins? There were seasons in my life where I was stuck in sins, couldn't get over it. The condemnation. Um, You're a pastor and you're still stuck with those things? Praise God. I believed in my righteousness long enough so that I broke through. But everybody needs to hear this. You, you don't have to stay stuck in your sin. You, you know, sometimes we go like, mm, yeah, you know, that sin, mm, yeah, or, you know, that addiction, mm, yeah, mm, you know, that's just my cross that I'm going to have to bear. No, no, that's not the Bible. The Bible says that sin shall no longer have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. What does that mean? That means you have a new master now. Sin is no longer, it doesn't dictate your life to you no more. You don't have to say yes to that temptation. In fact, you've been given the ability to say no to it through the grace of God. You can say no to it. You can overcome that thing. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. You see, some people think that if you tell them that they're forgiven, they're going to continue to sin more. No, no. I believe if I tell you you're forgiven and set free, you're going to sin less. That has been my experience. The more I have seen who I've become in Christ Jesus, the more I've understood that I am righteous. The more I've had the desire to disassociate with the things that was unpleasing to God. Ask, ask me this question. If you come home from working outdoors all day, you know, you've got mud up to here. Um, you know, you stop in your driveway, you get out and, and, and right before your garage, there's this huge mud patch and you're about to walk in and what do you do? Do you go like, you know, oh man, there's mud in front of my garage, man. And you, you know, you kind of like tiptoe around the mud patch trying to get, you have mud up till here. What do you do? You just walk on through it, right? Now tell me, now you're inside the house. You've washed, you've showered, you've put on your, you know, we call this moi moi's, um, nice nicies or something like that. You've put on your, 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 your nice you know, shoes, you're, you take your wife out to dinner and all that and you smell all great. You come out of the garage and boom, there's that mud patch. What do you do now? Boy, now you tiptoe around that mud patch. Why? Because I'm not going to compromise what I just received in myself. I, I'm clean now. I don't want to be dirty again. Our problem is, is we're so conscious of our sin. When sin comes around, well, that's just me. When temptation comes around, I think, well, no different from where I am right now, so I might as well do it. Instead of I'm seeing myself as the righteousness of God. I want nothing to do with that. I want nothing to do with that. It makes me feel bad. It makes my relationship with God struggle. It makes me feel like insecure before man. There's nothing good that comes from saying yes to temptation. I hate it. That's the fear of God the hatred of all evil but you can't get that if you don't see yourself as being righteous if you see yourself as just a sinner then there's not much difference what's the difference that extra bit of mud under the shoe going to make to the mud that's already up to here it's not going to make any difference 
It says in verse 16 of Romans 6, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slave, what does that mean? Well, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. So I'm going to sin. I'm presenting myself to sin, to obey it. Whatever you present yourself as obedient slave to, you are a slave of the one that you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience that leads to righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want to associate with that. I don't want to allow that into my life. I'm not going to say no to that. And as long as you remain convicted about who you are, that you have been cleansed, you have been set free, you're not going to want to be defiled by that old thing again. Now the fight starts because now you have to contend with you know, what's happening in your body. If it's an addiction, you're going to go, oh, my body wants this, my body wants this. No, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But if you're just a sinner saved by grace, what resistance do you have to that thing? Nada. Zero. And all the Bible reading, all the obedience to, to observing ordinances and, and, and days and, and, and doing all the spiritual disciplines, the Bible says those things actually have zero power against the flesh. But if you are righteous, <laughs> you'll want to shift. You don't want to do that anymore. And here's the key. If you don't want to, you don't. And when you make a mistake, and you do, tell me if you, how many of you rejoice after you've sinned? How many of you go, oh, that was so good, man. So good. I need to be doing more of this. Seriously, no. When we sin, we go like, oh, I blew it. Why? Because you don't want to do that anymore. You don't like that anymore. Because that is not your nature anymore. You love doing righteousness. So what it says here. Um, verse 17. Verse, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching we've been committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of of righteousness let me tell you guys there's nothing more difficult than to change your behavior if you don't want to change your behavior and the only way behavior changes is if you understand that you have become somebody new somebody different that has new desires new wants this is the righteousness of God this is what it means to not be in religion, but to be in relationship with God. It means that I want to be a slave to righteousness. No longer presenting myself to sin, to say yes to it. I view myself fundamentally different. Not out of pride, out of absolute humility, because I know I could never have done it myself. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs um, 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so easy. You know, as you consider yourself to be in your heart, that's how you will conduct your life. That's how you will act. And so once you've committed yourself to believing that I am the righteousness of God, out of that will flow obedience and righteous acts. 
Out of that will come behavior change. But it has to be a belief shift. I am no longer a sinner. And you know what happens to me? When I realize I am no longer a sinner, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I start experiencing that freedom of there's no condemnation. How many of you still feel condemned when you, when you sin? How, how come we do that when, when, when the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? It's because we don't understand this thing. I still see myself as a sinner. And so of course I'm going to feel condemned. Because there's shame and guilt connected to that. But if I'm not that, and I make a mistake, shame and guilt do not overcome me. No, the only thing that happens is very specifically, not vaguely, God tells me, stop lying, tell the truth. God tells me, stop using that word, choose another one. God tells me, stop using that substance, get yourself free from that. God tells me, stop treating your wife like that, treat her with honor. It's not vague things like, you're such a bad person, you're never going to get this. That's never going to change. It's pinpoint specific, that's how conviction works. When you want your child to stop hitting your brother, what do you tell him? You're such a bad brother. You know, you're never going to amount to anything. No, you tell him, stop hitting your brother. You're specific. You want that thing to shift. That's how the Holy Spirit is. He's specific. He tells you in your heart, you need to get rid of that thing. And with it comes the joy of, oh, that's going to be awesome. When I get rid of that thing, I'm going to feel so much better than when I do that thing. It comes with the affirmation of sonship. When I do that thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience the freedom that I have actually believed that I've gotten. The Holy Spirit's conviction comes with a, a, a joy, an expectation of life. Never with a condemnation that tries to make me and bully me into more work or, 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 or withdrawing. In that position, I can say I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to all who would believe. Now I can go and tell anybody, God is good. And you want to be a part of this life because it's so different from the religious attempt to try and please God. And it's so different from the uh, denial of God and trying to live life all by yourself. You get to live in the house of the living God, set free, accepted, and proclaimed righteous. Let's all stand as we close today if there has been a discrepancy in your faith walk where you have understood salvation you have understood all these verses and it has led you to become a Christian you've been born again but you have not actually understood that that has given you the right to call yourself a child of God, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I want to pray over you that today it'll settle in your heart. Never again will you make that confession over your life that I am a sinner saved by grace. You can say, I used to be a sinner that were saved by grace, but you are no longer that. Now you have become, by the grace of God, the righteousness in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, let this truth drop into our hearts. And let it free us from dead works. Let it free us from the fear of condemnation, the fear of rejection,
the fear of judgment. Let it free us, Father, from that, that sense that we've never done enough to, com- to, to, to com- uh, completely please you and to be accepted by you. Let it free us, Father, today so that we might have the absolute confidence to call on other people, to put their faith in you and experience the freedom that comes from having a relationship with you as a righteous son and daughter of God. I pray that for our congregation, Lord God, that this might become a mark of us, that we understand that we are righteous, we understand we've been set free and forgiven and absolved of all our guilt and shame, that we might walk boldly before you as a church, Lord God, that honors the work that you've did in our hearts, Lord God. We worship you, we acknowledge you, and let this just glorify your name more and more. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, John.